Hello. Good morning, Maria. Good morning, Andrea. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for being here as my quote unquote special correspondent to all things royal wedding. I'm so excited to do this. We've got a lot to talk about. We do. We have so much to talk about. But first, I know that you had a little bit of concern and you would like to issue an official disclaimer. So why don't you go ahead and do that? Sure. I uh, do not work at Buckingham Palace and all opinions expressed throughout this podcast are my own. And, you know, and it's just my speculation. Um, I would love to be inside the palace walls for, you know, some of this stuff. But unfortunately, that restraining order prevents me from doing so. I do. I believe that the royals have your picture posted. At, oh, God, you're, yeah. You're not welcome in the palace, but you're absolutely welcomed in the shops. That is true. Yes. The Buckingham Palace shop and the Kensington Palace shop. They also have my picture, you know, as like customer of the month. As a VIP. And exactly. I know this because yesterday I opened a package and you sent me the coolest things. So for, for those of you who are joining our podcast, a couple of things. Maria Nardi is nearly a 30-year veteran of the events industry. She has kind of specialized in a life well-lived. She's a huge traveler a big time luxury shopper. We share a deep affinity for purses and big diamonds. And for the last four years, she has lived between San Francisco and London. Beyond that though, she has been traveling to England since you're a little girl, correct? Yeah, my first visit over there was when I was seven years old. My mom took my sister and I over for, wow. yeah, for like a week. Um, and it, it, it really did change my life. I became obsessed with all things England. Imagine that that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to date myself here, but that was probably 1978. And then um, you can imagine just, you know, fast forward a couple of years later with Prince Charles getting engaged to the lady, Diana Spencer, my obsession then just catapulted. I remember um, when they got engaged. And I was, I was so young and I had the haircut. Of course you did. You're so <laughs> cute. Um, but I, I remember watching the wedding on TV and my father leaning over and whispering to me and he's like, watch this. Now's when she turns into a real princess. And I mean, I was, I was a toddler, but it was ingrained in my head that this is a fairy tale come true. And, you know, being American, never having been to London and not having any idea of what this was, I was sad that we didn't have a monarchy. Like, where's my princess? And so I felt this affinity. I remember, you know, very strikingly and sadly where I was when the accident happened. I remember watching the funeral and looking at her sons and thinking, oh my God, like there ha is, is there something different about Royals that your breeding or your bloodline has two children on the world stage walking and doing this? And even, you know, I, I just wanted them, everyone wanted to love them. And so to watch them growing up and to see Prince William go through kind of his birthrights and become a husband and a father. And Harry was just like, Harry's the little scamp. Harry's out there. He was in Vegas and 
got a little naughty. And so we were all excited to have him here. And, you know, we, we kind of followed him and it's, you know, tongue in cheek, the redheaded stepchild. Um, but you know, he's, he's just the sexiest little ginger and he's cute. And when, when Will and Kate got married, Prince William and, and the Duchess, when they got married and he like snuck a peek behind and he whispered how beautiful she looked, there's just something so endearing about Harry. And yet the first time I, the first picture I saw of him and Meghan Markle was them walking in Toronto and they were bundled up in coats and, you know, had like beanie skull caps on and he was holding her hand. And I had two immediate thoughts. My first was like, oh, that's interesting. A brunette new for him. And my second was, you know, another one of Harry's girls sewing his oats. I didn't, I didn't have any immediate reaction to her, but you're, you were there and the British press did. Yes, they did. I think they jumped on. I mean, first of all, Meghan Markle is extremely interesting and very well accomplished in her own right, you know, through her activism and being an actress, being beautiful, her lifestyle blog. I mean, she had a lot of things going for her prior to her relationship with Prince Henry or Prince Harry rather. And, um, Henry is his given name. Yes, it is. But you know, it, it would be like my mother calling me by my entire full name. Like why, you know, but they, you know, they jumped on it. I want to believe that they, they jumped on the relationship for all the right reasons. But I think we both know in this day and age of, you know, the mainstream media, they jumped on it, I think, for some of the wrong reasons as well. Well, because they called her his half-breed girlfriend and there was a lot of commentary about her race. Now, I knew her as an activist and I knew her as the lifestyle blog. I knew she was an actress, but I'd never watched Suits, so I didn't have a connection to her in that way. I just knew her as being somebody who was incredibly poised, very well-spoken and articulate, really dedicated to the idea of making the world a better place. Up until then, I didn't realize that she was biracial. And maybe it's because my children are mixed and they're Caucasian and Asian, and my sister's children are Caucasian and Hispanic and South American. I'm so used to seeing children that come from different backgrounds that I, I maybe gloss over it a little bit, but when they started commenting about her race and he, the, the palaces made a statement, I said to my husband, I go, okay, he's going to marry this one. And Tony looked at me like I was crazy. He's like the new one. And I said, yeah. And he, he was like, why would you even say that? And I said, because the Royals made a statement, like, the, the Buckingham Palace made a statement and for the queen and the monarchy to come out and say something means that like he had to go in and plant his flag and make a stand very, very early and say, this matters to me. And she's, and I, I could imagine the upward conversation going, well, like, why are we commenting on the flavor of the month? We don't get into the fray with the common folk. This will pass. And him having to have some conversations of, I love her. This matters. I'm not going to tolerate it. But you were telling me earlier that it's not Buckingham Palace. I don't think it is because I believe that that press release was actually issued from Kensington Palace from his PR team. And so and I, I don't know the protocol. I would think that, you know, because he resides and his offices are in are in Kensington Palace, 
you know, that he goes to his PR team and says, we need to issue this, this press release, blah, blah, blah. Does he have to get his grandmother's permission to do so? I don't know. That, that would be really interesting to find out. Like, did he have to go to his grandmother in an official capacity and say, I need to issue this statement. I need to have the press just back off. Because, and I think with William and Harry in particular, I mean, given how their mother died being chased by the press, I think the palace has to be super sensitive to their reaction to anything that the press does. Well, and you know, I, in my personal life, when it comes to my business, the press has always been incredibly generous and very, very friendly. But when it comes to my personal life and some of the things that I've been through, what I've seen of the press, including mainstream media and very well-respected publications, everything, you know, including the, the New York Times, I've seen the press take great latitude over the last 15 years, and they have been allowed to be nasty for the sake of being nasty. They have been allowed to speculate on terrible things. They've been allowed to name call, slut shame, be, you know, incredibly indignant. And then they get to turn around and say, well, it's freedom of the press. It's freedom of speech. It's all of these things. And so when I saw the things that they were writing about her and it was, it was clearly racist and they, it, they went actually beyond race though. All of the things that I love about her were the things that they attacked. She's an actress. She's older than him. She's an American. She's divorced. She's biracial. Like all of these things that I think make her such a spectacular and compelling character. You know, she, she wasn't the pure virgin. She wasn't all of these things. She wasn't plucked from the fields of England. I thought that that made her not only a stunning choice for him, but a really authentic one that he didn't go. And maybe it's because he is so far down the line of the throne. He didn't go out and look for what was expected. He went out and he forged his own way in the world. He made his own decisions. And she was the girl least likely. And yet he couldn't help himself. But when they, when they jumped on her for it, I thought, well, that's the press being the press because they suck. But when he responded, my ears perked up and I said, this is different. Because I don't look at the royals as being people who get into the, the fray. I, I always kind of felt like they were above that. But for him to do it just felt like, okay, this matters to him. And well, he I was standing was, up. For, yeah, he was standing up for her, which, you know. But I also kind of well, loved that. Like, it yeah, made oh, him absolutely. ballsy. Like, look at Prince Harry standing up for his woman. Mm -hmm. Like, I could see him getting into a tussle and, like, throwing down in a bar because he just loves her. And, you know, no fucks given. He does not care what the rest of the world says. That is who he chooses. And you are going to accept it or you're going to step aside because he's not going to tolerate anything other than respect for her. Mm -hmm. And I loved that. So that, that was the signal for me. But you liked the Vanity Fair piece. That's That was the turning point for me was that she gave an interview to Vanity Fair and publicly spoke of their relationship because I cannot think of any other royal dating anybody where an interview had been given prior to engagement or prior to marriage. I mean, 
I don't ever recall Kate Middleton doing an no. interview. Oh my God. You know? And so to me, when she was on the cover of Vanity Fair and gave an article and gave an interview, and I remember picking up the Vanity Fair and thinking, well, I don't know why I'm wasting my money on this. It's not like she's going to talk about Harry. And then reading it, I'm like, oh crap, I was wrong. Um, and thinking, okay, like how much clearance did she have to get to give this, to give this interview? Like, like clearly something's going on. And, and I wondered that too, like the same thing. Does she need permission to do things? But I also, I feel like there's this level of respect where I almost feel like he has given her like all of his trust and that he has almost like the palace gave her rope to hang herself. Like you go out and you behave how you want to behave. And let's see if you are intelligent enough and savvy enough to navigate this in a way that earns you acceptance. That's an, that's interesting. Um, I'm thinking about that. I, I like, I think I would guess that, I mean, look, we deal with press releases and what you do and what I do, you know, every day. Like I would imagine that there had to have been some sort of, some sort of clearance given to her or she had to seek permission, but you know, she handled the interview very, very well. I thought the interview, uh, she gave a great interview, but I also read that thinking that this is it. They are going to get engaged soon. And sure enough, because I think that was the October issue. Sure enough, they announced their engagement in November. And, you know, because otherwise you kind of look like a jackass giving well, an interview to Vanity Fair talking about your great relationship with Prince Harry. Well, and, and she then, turned around and she said, there will be a time when. Yeah. And she said, and that was the line that did it for me. I told Tony, I said, the engagement's coming any day now because she said I'm sure that there will be a time for us to step forward publicly as a couple and tell our story and I said they are engaged or already mm -hmm. or they're getting engaged because she is setting the stage and she, it was I love the fact that it was her doing it she came out she kind of set the table for that and said we will be doing this as a couple but it really balanced them and it made them feel so equal. He issued one press release. She gave an interview. You felt from the, for I felt from the beginning that they were very much in it together. And equal partners. Yes. Yeah. But now I know that most of the people that you hang out with socially in England are more or less, you know, men, buddies that are friends with your boyfriend. But for the, with the people that you work with and the people that you socialize with, in your London office, when you're on the train and you know, you're just kind of living around town, what's the what was the reaction to her? Well, so, you know, it's so funny because you had invited me to do this podcast, what, a couple of weeks ago. And then we just, I was in London and just the scheduling of it and all of that. Um, and I knew it was coming this week, but two nights ago, I was at dinner with a, a vendor, a friend, a friender, if you will. Um, and he was born and raised in the United Kingdom. And he was teasing me about me being the most British, non-British person he knows. And, you know, how he follows me on Instagram and, and Facebook and lives vicariously through my, my trips to, to the United Kingdom. Because he's married and has kids now and he just can't get over there as often. And I said, you know, I'm doing this podcast. 
on Thursday. And I said, you know, we're going to talk a lot about the, the engagement, the, the wedding, all of that. And the one question that Andrea keeps asking me is the, the British think of, of her. And is this scandalous because she is older and because she's a divorcee and because she's biracial and Paul hit the nail right on the head with think back 50, 60 years. And for any of your listeners or for you who, I don't know, do you, do you watch the crown? So I don't watch the crown. Oh girl, um, you've got to watch the crown. It's, it's on my list, but what I, what kills me and what really becomes difficult is when I watch a season and then I have to wait for the next so I was kind of waiting till there were like three seasons built up so that I could binge all at once. But I, I mean, in preparation for this, I have looked at things and I know that, you know, 50, 60 years ago, the queen did not allow her sister to marry a man who she loved very much. Because he was divorced. Yes. yes. And so that was the huge scandal then, you know? I mean, if you really want to go back a little bit further, I mean, obviously... The huge scandal was Edward VIII abdicating, ab- abdicating the throne for Wallace Simpson. Um, you know, it seems like every decade there's a new scandal. But, you know, if you look at the Queen's four children, three of her four children went through divorces in the 80s and early 90s. Of those three children, two of them have remarried. The one of the ones who remarried is the future King of England. So, I mean, I think that some of the stuff that the queen's own children did paved the way for the queen's grandchildren to live their truer their truer lives. Well, I mean, let's give uh, first of all and here's I want to do some examples of what her own children kind of did to the monarchy in terms of, you know, cracking the facade of these perfect little people. But when Prince Charles married Camilla the queen did not go to the wedding and her justification was, I'm not just the queen of England. I am the head of the church of England. And as the head of the church, I can't be present at a marriage, not for two people who are divorced and who had an affair. And so I'm, I'm really, I cannot imagine her missing print this wedding. I can't imagine her not being there for Prince Harry but I'm I'm wondering if it's if she's going to go. Oh, yeah. I mean, we haven't heard anything in the news or anything like that about her not going. And when Charles married Camilla, they had a civil service in like a registrar's office that I believe was just the two of them and a couple of witnesses. Then they had a blessing, like a, a blessing as a service, I believe, at St. George's Chapel in Windsor. And then, um, then and they then had they a had a reception, reception that yes. evening. She, um, I was, the queen went to the reception, but she did not go to either service. She was not included at the civil and she didn't go to the blessing, to the blessing. And I always got the feeling that she regretted. I mean, I, I think everybody regrets the, the very unfortunate circumstances around Diana. Um, I think that there was there was reasoning that he was not allowed to marry Camilla in the beginning because, and I mean, all things take Diana out of it for a minute. What an epic love story between Charles 
and Camilla that, you know, when the heart wants what it wants and what is meant to be, will find a way Mm -hmm. what he had to go through in terms of not being able to marry her from the beginning when he wanted to. And I believe she's older as well. And she had been engaged. There was something about her that made her quote unquote, undesirable, unfit for a Royal at the time. And so not to say that he didn't Diana. And, you know, I think that their marriage has been looked at and picked over more than enough, but to struggle through so much of his life to finally be able to say, this is what I'm doing. And I'm going to be happy because this is the only life I have. I don't, I think that Charles would have abdicated the throne for Camilla in a heartbeat. And I think that the, I think that even Charles probably didn't want to see his son suffer the way that he did. And that, you know, grandma, the queen looked at the history of the family and just kind of came to an acceptance of you have like for people to rule, they, they have to be happy. Like you have to allow them to find their happiness today. Well, and also it was time that the monarchy came into the 21st century. You know, that's an institution that's been around for centuries and centuries and centuries. And they weren't operating in modern times. They just weren't. I mean, if you think about it, Charlotte Williams, little girl is the first female um, heir that doesn't have to give up her spot to a male sibling. Yay, Charlotte. I mean, the chances of Charlotte ever taking the throne are slim, but, um, but just, you know, the monarch as a whole has up until just recently, it, it wasn't Been very a institution, you yeah, know? I mean- and so I think that some of the scandals, you know, going back to the point that my friend Paul made at dinner the other night, um, I think some of the scandals caused by the Queen's sister and the Queen's children have helped catapult the monarchy and force them into modern times. So remind us of some of the scandals. Give us like your your favorite five scandals. Oh, five scandals. Okay. So, well, you know, Pr- Princess Margaret had affairs after she married uh uh, Tony Jones, Tony Armstrong Jones, um, had a bunch of affairs in the sixties. It is rumored that she had an affair with Mick Jagger as well. I'm still trying to kind of visualize that one in my head, but, um, let's see princess Anne, um, you know, divorced her husband, um, Prince Andrew in the early eighties dated a soft core, uh, soft core porn star who Stark. I love that you know the name. Yeah, you know, all those years I should have been studying and I was just reading People magazine, you know? Like, um, but uh, then there was the there was the Fergie. Yeah, oh, oh please. Which I think all we have to say is Fergie. I mean, she had white hot mess. And yet I felt bad for her. You know, but she couldn't get out of her own way. No, she couldn't. She you know, obviously, obviously. You know, there are some some demons there that she just she can't seem to, you know, do the right thing and and get you're right. She she is her own worst enemy, if you think about it. But she was doing Weight Watchers like I'm a lifetime Weight Watchers member 
and there was a royal who was doing Weight Watchers. Yeah. We could we could have a whole podcast on Fergie. I think that because it's been a few years and Prince William and Catherine have done such a great job of kind of restoring this level of prim, proper, perfect nuclear family, perfect people, beautiful people, everything is right in the world. We forget about the 80s. There was just a whole period of time, and I'm sure you remember this, um, but there was a whole period of time where, you know, it seemed like every day there was something in the royal family that was imploding. And uh, this was probably between the time of like 88 to like 94, 95. There was just something. If Diana wasn't giving a teary interview on TV talking about how horrible her marriage was, then Charles's phone was being tapped and he was being recorded telling his mistress that he wanted to be a tampon inside of her, you know. Fergie was having her toes sucked. Uh, you know, it was just, it was tabloid fodder. But I do also think that all of the shenanigans that that these younger royals pulled back then helped pave the way for people to take a, a better look at, we, we've got to start, you know, modernizing this, this monarchy because otherwise this shit is going to continue to happen. Like, well, what's funny is I didn't remember, I did not remember any of that until you said it to me the other night and you said, well, you know, remember what the previous generation did. And the minute you said it, I could see the headlines and like, I could see the interview. And I remember, you know, Charles being annoyed by a question from a reporter and having his mic on still, like all of those things kind of came back to me. But I think like for after the worst of it, the monarchy just kind of got quiet for a little while. And then you had this revival of Prince William and Kate. And at the same time, you have, you know, everybody's favorite sexy ginger, Harry, out there being a scamp, being naked in Vegas. So, I mean, the, the reality is you really believe and the people of, for the most part, believe that it was everything that came first that allowed Harry to live his best life. But when I was on the phone call recently, I'm a part of a, I guess I'll call it a think tank. It's called the business of being creative. It's run by Sean Lowe. And we were talking about how important marriage is and that marriage and weddings are very much a, a snapshot of society, of life. You know, Europe was created by marriages of different houses and that's how the entire place came to be and so now you have a woman who is so very other marrying into what is likely the longest running institution that we have and i find it so interesting that like here in the states there's a constant commentary about who megan markle is and what she is and maybe it's because we take ownership of her but you're telling me that really across the pond, people don't, the, the true British people don't have that level of reaction to her. Oh, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a headline every single day in one of the newspapers, whether it's a legit, a legit newspaper or a tabloid. There's going to be, there is going to be a headline every single day, especially as we're leading up to the days to the wedding. However when you turn on the news 
you are likely to see more little <laughs> snippets and more commentary about her over here in the States than you are if you were to turn on the morning news programs over there. And again, it could be a little bit different this week and next week as we're, you know, I mean, we're in the countdown to the wedding now. I mean, what, we're, what, eight days away at this point? Yeah. So I would imagine that you're going to see and hear a lot more over there than we did a couple of weeks ago. I mean, when I was over there two weeks ago and the birth of Prince Louis, you know, was pretty much the news that week. And if it wasn't the news that week, then it was the queen taking her helicopter to go visit Prince Louis, or it was the queen's birthday, or it was Will and Kate's anniversary. But, you know, there was always maybe a tiny snippet in the newspaper about the wedding, but not like we're getting here. I mean, I think every single night here on Entertainment Tonight or E, there's some sort of story or commentary leading up. And I think it's because we want a monarchy. Uh, we want we want a royal family. I mean, we haven't had anything like this since the Kennedys or when Prince or when um, Grace Kelly married Prince Renier of, of Monaco. And, you know, I every time we have some family that is either beloved or even not beloved, they are referred to as, you know, the American royal family. And they absolutely did it with the Kennedys. They, you know, I see it with the Kardashians and I can't imagine a less quote unquote royal establishment than the house of Kris Jenner. But we want so badly to have an attack. Like we fought a war to get away from England and yet we so desperately want to have a monarchy because it's romantic, because there's a heritage, because they, they live not just extraordinary lives with beautiful jewels and all of those things but there is such a mystique which hollywood and politicians here in america don't have there is no mystique we know it all and yet over there they're still shrouded and so for one of us to be one of them yeah one of us you know think about it one of us infiltrated the palace walls i mean god knows i've tried yes, but i didn't get it but it's so they're in general, generally speaking on a day-to-day, nobody is upset about any of the things about her. They're not upset that she's biracial. They're not upset that she's divorced. They're not upset that she's older. They're just like, this is Harry being Harry. I am sure that there are people who probably very, very loyal to the, the old school monarchy. Probably, you know, the people who are in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who have been around since you know, the old uh, Queen Elizabeth became queen. I, I'm sure that there are some diehards who are upset, but I have not encountered any of them. Do you think that's because you're an outsider? Like, do you think it's because the British are very, you know, making an effort to be polite and that they wouldn't say it because you're mixed company? Or do you really feel like, I have to imagine that if it was out there that you would overhear it, at least in a bar. Well, the snarky side of me is like, no, it's because I don't hang out in senior centers. But um, no, I I don't think it has anything to do with that. I think, you know, when I'm hanging out at the local pub, you know, the, the owner of the pub is talking about what just happened, you know, in, in that day in the little village. Or they're talking about, you know, who's, who's playing in Saturday's football match. 
Um, now you said that they're more annoyed if anything about the fact that the wedding is taking place on the same day as like some football thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like that seems to be what I've heard the most is, you know, Oh, are you guys going to watch the wedding? And I, I, these guys just look at me like, are, are you fucking kidding me? Football's on. Like it would be, I guess it would be like hosting, you know, some great big glamorous event over here on the same day as the Super Bowl. You mean like when Kylie Jenner announced that she had been pregnant and had a baby and actually like hijacked the Super Bowl? Did she do that on Super Bowl Sunday? She did. See, I was on site for an event, so I missed all of that stuff. See, this is why I need to call you more often. We talk every day. No, we don't. We need we to talk, talk more. But so it's funny because obviously, you know, with, with me being a wedding planner and me being a Harry fan and a Meghan Markle fan and just loving them together, I'm constantly asking you things. And then yesterday I go to my office to pick up my mail and you sent me some pretty extraordinary things and you prefaced it with, do not let your daughter Alexandria get her grubby little hands on this. I'm going to be doing like an official unboxing of this. Did I really say grubby little hands? Yes. Yes, yeah. Little hands. Should I apologize? Mm-mm. Okay. <laughs> no. But I, I kept telling my husband, like, oh, Maria's sending me something from London. He's like, that's nice. I said, it's about the wedding. I think she's sending me an invitation. And he looked at me and he's like, like you and Maria are getting invited. I was like, no, silly rabbit. I said, like, I wonder if they put out, like, copies of the invitation or like a proposed menu where I, I kept thinking of it in terms of like, what could you have gotten from the palace? But you got me some cool stuff. And now I understand why you don't want my daughter touching it. Do you want to tell them what you gave me? No, you, you go ahead and tell them. I got dress up dolls, like paper dolls. Of Harry and Megan. Of course, not of the well, queen. Like, I didn't I didn't send you just some random like dress up Barbie, you know. But I I love this and I will never dress them up and I will never take them out. But you even sent me you sent me two kind of magazine commemorative books about them and their relationship. And you sent me the dress up dolls. You sent me a bag of tea where the, the little dropper that you would hold to dunk the tea is the cutouts of their faces. And you even sent me the bag from the shop at Kensington Palace where you got it. Um, so the book, the actual commemorative book, not the, not the paper dolls. The paper dolls I bought like over near Covent Garden at some little fun little like gift shop. Um, but the actual commemorative book, that is the book that Buckingham Palace and Kensington Palace has put out. That is like the official book, you know, because as you can imagine, every street corner has a street vendor selling all kinds of crap. You know, you get a cutout of their face and wear it as a mask, like all kinds of stuff. But the stuff that I sent you that that booklet the commemorative book that i sent is the official book from buckingham palace and which is why i threw in the bag from buckingham palace so that you can see it was bought there um but and i owe you some of the commemorative china as well which i will get when i'm over there in a couple of weeks and get that sent over to you 
But, but now um, you have the the dress up dolls from when Diana and Charles got married. Yes, I do. It actually, um, it was just called Dressing Diana. It wasn't. It, I mean, it did have her wedding dress, so it was clearly um, produced after the wedding because it had her wedding dress and it had a couple of the outfits that she wore on the honeymoon. But um, it was called Dressing Diana, and it was it just. I still have them. And do you have Will and Kate? I do not have Will and Kate. I missed that one. I feel like you need the whole set. You know what? I, I feel like today, after I'm done writing performance reviews, I may be spending a little time on eBay. So let's give, I'm going to follow up next week, and I'm going to do my official predictions for the wedding on a separate podcast. But I, I really want to hear from you. You're not going to be there. You're going to be watching it stateside. What do you anticipate? Because I keep in my head, I keep seeing yellow. Okay, so I'm going to throw in, I know you're doing your own predictions, but I'm going to throw in my predict. Can I throw in, first of all, let me ask, can I throw in my predictions on who the dress designer is going to be? Yes, I actually want all of your predictions because I'm going to do my own separately. I've already done some, a little bit of dress detail and that's on the blog if anyone wants to go. Oh, I saw it. It's fantastic. Yes, but I want to know, what do you think? Because in my head, I keep seeing yellow and I don't know why, but I keep seeing like a buttery yellow or like a very soft yellow. And I'm not quite sure where that's coming from, but I want to know what you think we're going to see. Um, I see as far as the silhouette, I kind of see something almost sort of drapey. I don't see anything sort of um, uh, form fitting. Um, you know, I, I don't see her in like a form fitting sheet. I see something kind of sort of modern and drapey. Um, I'm trying to think of, so you're you not know, almost, almost like, almost like, you know, you and I were on the phone the other night looking at, at the Halston website. I'm almost in my mind, picturing something kind of modern, kind of, um, almost simple, but very drapey. Like Carolyn Bissett Kennedy, only with a little bit more volume. Yeah, or even like, you know, some of the stuff we saw on Halston's site the other day. Some of the more drapey kind of... Fluid. Exactly. I, I'm picturing something kind of fluid. Um, I would love that, but I wasn't seeing it. Okay. And Only I think because designer... in my head, I think she's going to try hard to maintain a level of respect. Maybe what I would love... First of all, I would love that. I think that we might even see that, though, as her second dress, like her reception dress, how Kate did the A-line with mm -hmm. the first rug. I think that would be a stunner of a reception dress. Like if she came in all Grecian goddess with like her messy bun and some killer jewels and like just a, a fluid moving like white water dress. Yes. That would be insane. But it I would be. She's going to do that at the, at the chapel. And yeah. And again, that's a good point because she will have something for the evening reception. Um, so I guess when I'm picturing it is more for the evening reception. But however, as far as the designers, I'm going to throw two names into the hat. I'm going to throw Stella McCarthy, who kind of seems like she might be an obvious choice. And then I'm also going to throw in um, whoever is the house of Burberry for their Prusum line. Okay, I'm not I'm not gonna lie. I didn't think of either of those. 
Because I know she's got a, I, I would be very surprised if she did not do a nod to a British designer. So would I. I, I don't think that we're going to see anything or anyone mainstream. I mean, we're not seeing Vera. We're not seeing anything like that. The gossip girl can talk about the house of Grimaldi all they want, but she will have, I believe, a European designer. I think you're got I think it's going to be more than just European. I think it's going to be a British designer. And I I would agree. I think it would be amazing if we had a quote unquote American designer, but sadly, I don't think that we have an American bridal designer that is on the level of what the British would need simply because we don't have that level of of royalty here. But I I do think that it would be it would be amazing if she picked like plucked someone out and changed mm-hmm. lives, kind of like what they did with their their photography. Did you hear that story? No. Okay, so I'm obsessed with this and I love it because I thought that their engagement photos were spectacular. They were stunning. Like, oh my god! Like in my head, I'm like, can I get a dress and just go and you know? pose like like they were everything and I have poured over them forever but you talk about taking them into the 21st century you talk about modern she was over obviously in England and they ended up a friend of hers was on Instagram and saw photos that this photographer had taken and sent them and said hey check out these pictures. You should use him for your engagement photos. And so he got an absolute random phone call of, hey, we saw you on Instagram. Can you come take these photos? And now he's actually shooting the wedding as well. That's amazing. And I, I, I love stories like that. You know, I, I think personally they should have been on Instagram looking at your feed and being like, can you come do like our evening reception? See, this is why I love you because no matter what you are all, you are down for me. Like, well, you've always you know, been so great. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I read, and if you go on, you can actually read him doing an article. Um, he talked about it in Bizarre. And he said, you know, he was very surprised that she wore that kind of sheer, beautiful, I believe that it was Ralph and Russo. Mm-hmm. But the the photographer, his name is Alexei Lubormirsky. And I probably pronounced that terribly. But if you're going to look it up, it's A-L-E-X-I. L-U-B-O-R-M-I-R-S-K-I. And I mean, obviously already a spectacular photographer, obviously already acclaimed and just fantastic. But think about how that happens. Like how you're sitting there one day and you're photographing what is arguably the most famous couple of the planet. And you are inviting, like they're inviting you in. I just, I can't even imagine that. And I would be lying if I said, I didn't think about like, what would I, what would I do? Because I can't even wrap my head around the levels of protocol and rules and things that they would require. But I just, I keep seeing something 
very organic. I don't see overly structured on the decor. I don't see anything overly, um, like I don't see anything overly fussy. This isn't gonna be, you know, a Preston Bailey. It's not gonna be super heavy. I think that it's gonna be a lot more streamlined. I think that it's, I think we're gonna see some modern touches, but in my head, I keep seeing kind of like this really soft blue. I see like maybe a little bit of yellow in like the bud of a flower. I see something, I don't wanna say pastels, because I mm -hmm. think that that's too watered down. Um, I'm but so, more like a muted, like a muted tone kind of. Yeah. Like you, you take some pastel colors and then you run it through sepia. And so you add a little bit of, of, of vintage to it. Mm -hmm. Or I could see her do like letting the color really speak and like yellow is yellow. Pink is pink. I, I don't see any middle ground in that. I think we're going to see a lot more of the wedding than we've been allowed to see of others in terms of the photos that are gonna come out. I think we're gonna get a lot more released than we did with William and Kate, probably because there's there's more of a separation between Harry and the throne. Mm -hmm. I think she's, I mean, she's going to look stunning. I want her to wear her hair up. Like, I want her to be her. I want her to have like the tendrils coming down. Yep. I want her to just absolutely stand in who she is. And I think that Harry probably, like, I get the sense that he encourages that from her. But I, I don't see, I don't necessarily see a big ball gown. She has been married once before. I think I would love to see an overskirt. Like I would love to see something that is, she's not going to go tight. She's not going to be showy. I don't think that we'll see full bare arms and shoulders. I don't think we'll have strapless. We may have an off the shoulder, but I don't think we're going to go overly Hollywood sexy. I think that for the church, she's really going to toe the line and earn the respect of the established monarchy by doing quote unquote, the right thing. But yeah, I she's got to have to, because otherwise they're going to destroy her in the press. And I got to say that, but I, I think that the press got their hands slapped. And I, I think that they're a little bit like, oh, shit, we should. I'm not saying that they're not going to criticize her. And look, you and I will be eating popcorn, sipping on our tea, going through our own version of, you know, what people wore. And we'll be having our own commentary. But I think that the press is a little stung in terms of he has laid the smack down and said, you don't get to do this. They may not love what she wears, but I don't think they're going to personally attack her. I think it's more or less like she needs to set the tone and she's already done it with, you know, her, her fashion choices up until now. Mm -hmm. And they've been modern. I mean, she got slammed for wearing sleeveless. And no stockings. Yeah. Which, you know, she finally started wearing the stockings and I was like, okay, but you know, the, the constant commentary on her hair. And you do have to look at it and say, like, do people, like, commenting on, we all do it. We're, look, I'm a white woman in America who's been married, divorced, remarried, kids. We're not supposed to talk about what women look like. But you know what? We all talk about it. How many times did you see what she's wearing? Why would she wear that? Or, oh, my God, she looked amazing. Like, we do that with our friends. We do it with people. But the constant commentary 
of her hair in the press. And somebody said, like, do white men not know that they're not supposed to talk about, like, what a biracial woman's hair looked like? And I found it funny because in my head, I'm like, are we really that sensitive to, are we going to continue to make it about the fact that she's a biracial woman and not just that it's a messy bun and it's modern? Like, there's the constant need to reference all of the ways that she's other. And I Mm -hmm. think that Harry has established that, especially at the wedding, I think they'll be held to pay if somebody goes to the nasty place. It'll be very interesting because, you know, I think that the British press is probably, in my opinion, nastier than the American press. I mean, I look, as we've been talking, you know, on this podcast and talking in the days leading up to this, I, and as I've been recalling some of the scandals, I also vividly recall some of the headlines accompanied those scandals. And just, you know, I think that, um, I think the British, it's not that they're nastier, but I just think that the British press is way snarkier than the American press. Well, then I'm super glad that I don't live in, although I will say this, um, when, when I was going through my own situation with the press about 13 years ago, it was actually reported overseas. And some of the things that had been sent to me from Britain, specifically London, were really awful. I mean, remember when they called, remember when they called um, Fergie the Duchess of Cork? Was that them or us? That was them. Oh, good. I'm glad we didn't do that. No, we're mean, but we don't suck. Well, all right, we do, but. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, I guess I kind of do. I guess I remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this has been, it's been really, really interesting. I'm excited that the fact that most British aren't up in arms over this is fantastic. I love the fact that I would say most people would just want to see Harry happy. Yes, I and I think that's what it boils down to. It's sort of, you know, it's that, it's that phrase that we keep hearing more and more of these days. Y- you do you, you know? And I think that's sort of the general attitude. And I, but I, you know, when, when you talk about like, you know, local girl does good or local kid does this, I, I think that Harry became everybody's favorite boy. Mm-hmm. And what he missed out in vivid memories from his mother and the way that we watched him and William kind of grow up and the fact that he did have so many missteps, you know, from the Nazi costume to being naked in Vegas to, you know, girlfriends breaking up, all of those things. We just got to see him come into his own as a man and as a monarch and to see him really kind of own his station and his position and not let it own him. That he he didn't shy away from making what some people would probably think was a really hard choice to step outside of the box, but he owned the decision. And he let it be known from day one that this was going to be his choice and he was gonna do with his life whatever it was that he wanted to seem so happy and with a woman who is every bit his equal, who can be a partner, who can challenge him, where they can grow together. I mean, to be able to 
to see someone who brings truly her own worth to the table and say, this is, this is who I am. This is what I've done. And if I'm going to give up all of this, it needs to be for more than a pretty crown because I can wear those on the red carpet. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when they gave their interview and she's saying she didn't know much about him and this and that, that was a little actressy and affected. And we all know who he is. Um, But the idea of, you know, I came to this with no preconceived notions of who he was going to be, but said like, this is who I am. I love the fact that they were just two people who looked at each other at a point in their lives and said, without, you know, who gives a shit about all the other stuff, this works for us. And it was easy to fall in love with them. It's easy. It was, it was. And I'm telling you, you know, after hearing that they got engaged while they were at home roasting a chicken, I know I speak for women everywhere. (laughs) I want that fucking recipe. You know, it's so funny because I haven't eaten chicken in like seven years. Um, But perhaps your boyfriend, Alan, is is listening. I would love to come over and plan a wedding at Kensington. So maybe Alan can, you know, maybe you can make a chicken. Okay. The last time I made a chicken, he was like, babe, please don't cook again. (laughs) So no roasted chicken ring for you? I don't think so, but I, I still, I, I, if I could find out the recipe of that roasted chicken, I would go to culinary school to perfect it just to, you know, have my happily ever after. Could you imagine if, if Megan and Harry ended up doing a cookbook? That would be so awesome. I, I actually think that that is something that they, we should find out if there's anyone out there who has done the Megan and Harry engagement roasted chicken recipe. If anyone is listening and you have access to it or you find it, or if you find something out there, bring it to me. I will put you on the podcast. We will cook it live on YouTube or on Facebook in my kitchen, and we will do the engagement roast chicken. I'm tempted to eat a chicken just because of the fact that that's how they got engaged. Probably not, but tempted. I'll fly out to watch. Okay, well, on that, I am super excited by this. Will you come back again so we can dissect the wedding afterwards? Will you come back in in two weeks and jump on on the day of the wedding? Okay, I was going to invite myself, first of all. So, uh, yeah, I am actually going to get up and watch it in real time. That's exciting. I have kids, so I will not. Right. Or I will absolutely come back and we we can talk about it. Okay, I would love that. So everybody, when you come to the podcast and you hear more about Maria Nardi, otherwise known as the Nardicist, um, she is my friend. She is my link to all things British. She was a client and became a friender. And now I'm happy to say is truly just a friend. Maria, thank you so much for everything today. We will get you back on the podcast in eight or nine days. And until then, everybody, join us celebrating life, luxury, and above all else, love for Harry and Megan. Thank you, Maria. Thanks, Andrea. Talk to you later. Bye.